Hello, I'm Holly Keir and I'm part of the ERS Monograph Editorial Board as their Early Career Member Representative. I'm a Translational Scientist and Postdoctoral Researcher based at the University of Dundee in Scotland. Today, we're excited to be recording a new ERS podcast for the recently published monograph entitled Complex Breathlessness. I'm delighted today to be joined by one of the guest editors for the latest monograph, Professor James Hull. James is a consultant respiratory physician at the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, UK, and an honorary professor at the University College London. He is the current clinical lead for the Unexplained Breathlessness Service at the Royal Brompton Hospital, which provides a one-stop assessment service for complex breathing issues. James is an advocate for the use of physiological investigations and particularly cardiopulmonary exercise testing to help characterize reasons for exertional breathing difficulties. Thank you, James, for joining us today. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks, Holly, and thank you for the invitation to join the podcast. So I thought we could just start off, if you could maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in complex breathlessness. Yeah, I started out in general medicine and respiratory medicine, and then I suppose I viewed the subsequent steps in my career as almost like going down a funnel. I mean, I, I, I was involved in general respiratory medicine and then became uh, involved in looking after individuals with severe asthma. And then more recently, really focusing on work in the upper part of the airway and the larynx, and I think like many of the co-authors and contributors to our complex breathlessness monograph, their training tends to come through the fields of asthma or severe asthma or difficult to treat respiratory symptoms, which often get referred obviously to asthma services. So can you tell us a little bit about why you think this edition of the monograph is so important? It's important because for the first time, it brings together a text which covers a number of different entities which clinicians should be thinking about when they see someone with complex or unexplained breathlessness. So, of course, there are lots of different textbooks and papers which cover these sorts of areas, but to date there is no guide which brings all of the entities together and helps clinicians faced with this problem try and work through what could be the differential diagnosis or indeed how to assess and think about the breathless patient. So I think that's the need for this. And, and hopefully we've been able to provide this as a sort of comprehensive overview of the area. It certainly does seem to be a very comprehensive overview. And I have to say, I really enjoyed reading it. I come from a translational science background and I still really enjoyed the clinical aspects of it. So who do you think would benefit most from reading this edition and why? Well, I hope it appeals to a very broad audience of clinicians. So Clinicians, of course, who are involved in all aspects of respiratory medicine, but by clinician, I mean, of course, not simply physicians, but it should be of appeal to physiotherapists, speech and language therapists, nursing, respiratory specialists, and then right through perhaps also of interest to people within general medicine in care of the elderly or general medicine roles, where you know we're faced right across the board, including in primary care, with assessing this type of issue very frequently. I mean, these in the early sections of the monograph, we highlight just how common it is to be presented with a breathless individual where the cause isn't immediately obvious. And so you know, this is occurring every day right across the world in terms of people making these assessments. And so hopefully it will appeal to a very broad audience. And for this audience of different clinicians and various people in the healthcare field, when people are assessing and managing complex breathlessness, are there areas that you feel are commonly overlooked and should be focused on more closely? Well, yes, for sure. I mean, the literature is replete with people, I mean, failing to consider 
conditions such as dysfunctional breathing, contributions from autonomic irregularities in the control of breathing, conditions such as laryngeal closure or laryngeal dysfunction, which has been misdiagnosed as asthma. And for many people, those kind of conditions can be overlooked for, for numbers of years and lead to inappropriate use of fairly toxic medications, for instance, use of oral corticosteroids. So, yeah, I mean, I think if we asked the co-authors of each of the respective chapters, they would say, look, this condition is really overlooked frequently. And so the point of the monograph and bringing these different entities together is that actually it should hopefully raise awareness and raise simultaneous awareness of multiple different entities, which in some cases, of course, can overlap, for example, laryngeal closure and autonomic dysfunction. And so it really does underline the importance of having a holistic approach and considering lots of different entities in the same individual. That's great. So as a if a clinician was reading the monograph and coming into it for the first time, where would you point them towards if they wanted to get a guide on how to start identifying complex breathlessness and diagnosing complex breathlessness? I mean, I suppose for most colleagues, they're already seeing people in their clinical practice presenting with breathlessness that, you know, sometimes there will be obvious causes, but often there'll be a need to progress diagnosis by performing further investigations and assessments. And I think the monograph should act to highlight the differential diagnosis, which we know from large studies, if the initial differential diagnosis doesn't include some of the conditions which are highlighted in the monograph, then they may not be reconsidered for some time down the diagnostic journey. So for instance, you will go down a journey of asthma with escalations in treatment, and yet underlying the airway-centric symptomatology is actually a problem at the level of the larynx. And so it's a consideration of those entities at the very first stop. And then within the chapters, there are obviously respective sections about how to investigate those in a robust way. And I'm still uh, well, I'm very pleased with the co-authors for highlighting the importance of robust investigations, because I still think within the respiratory community, we're still very happy really to try and get by with a you know, good clinical history and examination. And yet colleagues in neurology and cardiology have really moved on past that and realized that in many cases, it's very difficult to make a robust diagnosis without using good and robust tests really. So in a similar kind of vein, you've talked a lot about your contributors. Do you have any particular favourite chapters? Maybe a difficult question to ask. Oh, I better be careful here because um, otherwise people will be emailing. I mean, so many of them um, provided fantastic contributions. I mean, I'm obviously, uh, I lean heavily towards physiology. So as the ex-president of the ARTP, a fantastic organisation, but I I would highlight Carl Sylvester and colleagues' contribution highlighting the ways in which we should use physiological tests and particularly cardiopulmonary exercise testing to assess breathlessness. A lot written on that now. And I think people realize that if you want to assess what, how people feel or, or the problems they get when they have exertional symptoms, you need to evaluate the situation when an individual is symptomatic, i.e. during exertion. I particularly enjoy and feel that it's important to highlight the autonomic nervous system. And there's an entire chapter by Charlie Riley and Nick Gall on the postural tachycardia syndrome. And of course, many listeners will have become increasingly aware of that entity and its interplay with breathlessness over the course of the COVID pandemic. It was a condition that before that was really completely overlooked. And yet, if you see an individual who's breathless, who's got a heart rate of over 100 at rest, that really needs to play into clinicians' consciousness, I think, in terms of the assessment. 
Oh, that's great. You mentioned the ARTP organization. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this and what they do. Oh, with great pleasure. So, yeah, I mean, it's the UK's home for the respiratory physiologists, and it plays a vital role in, if you like, highlighting, supporting, progressing the value of respiratory physiology. And of course, I'm not a physiologist, I'm a physician, but I had great pleasure in being the president of that organization for a number of years. And, uh, we, you know, I, the thing I think people don't realize is that within every hospital, there are a number of incredibly skilled respiratory physiologists who have a huge amount of insight in how to assess and progress the diagnosis and management of breathlessness. And it really only takes joint up thinking and good MDT working to try and utilize that expertise to progress patient management. And so I always say, and bang the drum to say, look, go and meet your physiologist, work closely with them. There's a huge amount of benefit for working as a, as a much more tightly knit community in terms of the benefits for the patients. So there we go. That's my bang the drum done for ALTP. That's great. So what do you think the future will bring to complex breathlessness and where do you see the field going next? I mean, for me, there is still the sad story that we hear from lots of patients who get caught in a sort of circular referral loop where, for instance, they would be referred in from primary care and they would end up I don't know, maybe seeing cardiologists and then cardiology investigations don't reveal a cardiac cause for the symptom pattern. They get referred to respiratory medicine. They have a couple of tests and then someone might say to them, well, actually the tests are reassuring. There's nothing sinister or nasty for you to worry about. And then they might go back to cardiology again a few months later with ongoing symptoms. And that will be a familiar story to many listeners, I'm sure, in terms of the pathway of care in breathlessness. And so I think really, again, if I hark back to colleagues in other specialisms, such as cardiology or neurology, they've designed their services to try and, in many cases, provide a better service for a certain group of symptoms. So you have chest pain clinics, you have headache clinics. And I think it would be logical to try and progress breathlessness clinics or services where you have individuals who have expertise in complex breathlessness assessing patients earlier in their progression through that sort of diagnostic sort of loop and circle. So I think that's one component, which I think hopefully we'll see improvements. And I know that the national clinical director, Andy Menzies-Gow has been working hard to try and establish breathlessness networks to try and improve that certainly within the UK. Of course, as well, we live in an era where we now have lots of options for virtual monitoring and diagnostics. And that opens a huge opportunity in terms of applying AI and other techniques to try and evaluate breathlessness and to monitor it and then to try and understand it during different times or physiological challenges. So we can assess people going up and down stairs or in their workplace or overnight. And I think that will dovetail nicely with trying to understand treatments and treatment responses. So I think it's it's an exciting synthesis, but at this point, I would suggest that we try and focus on getting the basics right and just starting to consider these conditions as, as a first step forward for us. No, that's wonderful. And as you've highlighted, you know, it's so obviously important to patients that, you know, their symptoms are acknowledged and their underlying condition is recognised and diagnosed. So you kind of mentioned at the end there a bit about treatments. So moving on from recognising this condition in patients, what treatments do you see as being appropriate or maybe coming in the future that will help patients with complex breathlessness? So, yeah, I mean, and there's lots of people who are far better versed than me to talk about the way in which you might use, for instance, pharmacological treatments and the pharmacological treatments that are emerging. I mean, for me, lots of the 
conditions that we describe in the monograph and try to help people with in real life largely arise because of some degree of dysfunctionality. By that, I mean, for instance, the breathing pattern has become irregular, people are breathing too quickly, the larynx is closing or acting in a sort of defensive or dysfunctional way. And so for me, the therapy of choice and the therapy that still needs to be emphasized and indeed resourced properly, certainly within the UK, and probably the same is true across Europe, is therapy-based treatments such as physiotherapy and speech and language therapy. And they're the mainstays, and I think will remain the mainstays of treatment. There isn't going to be a novel drug treatment that people can pop in and get rid of these symptoms. Although some of the treatments, for instance, that would be beneficial, for instance, in cough and looking at desensitizing neural pathways may also, of course, be beneficial in a number of the conditions leading to complex breathlessness. But I would say, look, we have to really get our act together in terms of properly resourcing therapy approaches. And MDT is a key facet of delivering that type of care. And uh, there's the sections within the monograph, which highlight the importance of MDT working and making that robust. And in fact, you know, from studies such as in Australia, there's good evidence that suggests high functioning MDTs reduce acute medical attendance and have you know, good economic impact. And so that should provide people with the power to try and resource these properly within their own setting. That's brilliant. Thank you. It's great to see how much passion you have for the subject and, you know, learning so much more about complex breathlessness. Those were all of my questions, but was there anything extra that you'd want to highlight to the listeners or the readers of this monograph? Well, I'd just like to say a big thank you really to John, to the ERS, to the co-authors, to Gemma, a huge amount of work to get this finished and across the line. And I hope it appeals to people. And I hope that actually people will contribute to the literature and the research that moves us forward in this field. So thank you very much. Thank you, James, for joining us on the Monograph podcast today, and along with the whole of the ERS Monograph publications team for producing this excellent compendium. I would encourage the wider respiratory community to read this edition, which provides a clear, concise and comprehensive approach to the investigation and treatment of complex breathlessness. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Mm-hmm.